0: And uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you as we go to your word right now. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place. You give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us as your Spirit teaches us from your word. Well, We also pray for those that are watching on live stream, those that will watch this later, uh, that you would bless them as well. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. Amen. So, as a reminder, First Peter. When we first started this book, it's written by Peter the Apostle. Obviously, written to the early church who was suffering great persecution at the hands of Caesar Nero, and uh, and not only Nero but people like Pontius Pilate and others who were persecuting the church for standing for the for the truth. So they were being disowned by family who was holding on to the old covenant and remaining in the temple. And then they were being persecuted by the world and by the government. So here you have early Christians who've left behind their family. Many have fled for their lives. And then as they even come into new cities, if they keep quiet, it's easier to stay undercover and not be necessarily fed to lions or imprisoned. And so there was a temptation to kind of dial back your faith and and not talk so much about the Lord and just kind of, you know, if I don't talk so much, maybe I'll be okay. And there might have even been temptation on some people's part to go back to the old covenant because when I was in the temple, it wasn't this way. So Peter writes this letter to encourage them and to exhort them. In the outline for 1 Peter, we looked at this, uh, when I looked at the first chapter, but just as a reminder, of the outline in first Peter one to two verse 12, when we look at part of that this morning, we see salvation of the believer, the belief of Christians. Then we see the sanctification of the believer. So we see the salvation of the believer. We must be born again. And that we're set apart unto the Lord. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And it's not the old covenant And it's the new covenant in Christ. Then we saw the sanctification of the believer. That means being set apart unto the Lord, even in the face of great trials and persecution. And then this morning, something we all really love, we're going to look at the submission of the believer. Because we all love to submit, don't we? It's something we just, I can't wait to submit this morning. But the reality is that we're going to look at the behavior of Christians. So we saw the belief of Christians, the call to holiness, and the behavior of Christians that we'll continue to look at this morning. Now, if you'll remember, I'm going to finish off the outline from last week. We had one point left. Um, I told the message last week, precious Jesus. And you know what? There's nothing more precious than our Savior. Amen? Amen. And you know what? He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Almighty God, the Alpha and the Omega. And it's such an awesome blessing that we get to be called his sons and daughters, that we can call him Dad, our Heavenly Father. And we saw last week that he was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. That uh, Jesus came, and, and it's not man's approval, but God's approval that matters. So it doesn't matter how much, how popular you are with men, but how faithful we are to God. Amen. And it's so easy, especially in this whole social media and all the things that go on in life, to want to be, you know, popular before men. And when we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, He's not going to see how many likes you had on Facebook. Can I get an amen? He's not going to see how many TikTok followers you had. He's not going to be worried about any of those things that we can, or how many friends we had, or whatever it might be. It's all going to be about what have we done with God's Son. Secondly, we saw that He is our precious cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church. He's the cornerstone. He's the stumbling block. He's the foundation stone. He's the supernatural stone of Daniel that crushed all the other kingdoms that would come. And He's the rock that gave Israel water in the wilderness. Our Savior is the rock. Amen? Jesus rocks. He is the foundation stone. He is the cornerstone. And we're living in a time today where the word of God is under attack and the person who, of who Jesus Christ is, is under attack. By the way, this is a book written by God to men, not a book written by a bunch of men about God. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. So we need to understand that when, when we know who wrote it, when we know who the authority is, when we know that Jesus is the only way, and we live in a time now where people are calling themselves Christians, doubting the inspiration of scripture. Questioning whether or not Jesus alone is the only way to heaven. We know what you call somebody who has those questions, who doubts the inerrancy of scripture or rejects it, or says that Jesus isn't the only way. You call them a unbeliever. Amen? Because guys, if Jesus isn't the only way, then you're not a Christian. Amen? If you don't know him, and guys, here's the reality. It's not about what we believe, but do you have a relationship with the Lord? It's not about what church you belong to or where you have church membership or whether or not you are baptized. All those things are good. But guys, it's about having a relationship with the Lord and you know if you have a relationship with him or not. Then we talked about our precious savior. True belief is reflected in how we see Jesus. Is Jesus precious to you? Are your thoughts filled with him and your love for him, honor for him and reverence for him? There's just something about that name as we just sang, amen? There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus and Jesus alone. And then we saw that he's a source of salvation, but also the stone of stumbling. You know, Jesus is either the Savior and Lord, or he is a rock of offense. When you look to the cross, you either rejoice because you recognize that because of his death on the cross, I've been forgiven. We had put up a cross upon the hill behind our house. My, my daughter my two sons did after our son Mark went to heaven. And we could see it when we drove into our neighborhood and it wasn't there a week and somebody tore it down. Because why? Because the cross to those of us who are being saved is something we look at. It reminds us of the greatest act of love in all of human history. And it's a blessing to us for a world that rejects Jesus. It just brings conviction. There are people that spend millions of dollars trying to get crosses taken down off of hillsides they see when they're driving by on the freeway because nobody's worried about the Buddha and the Chinese restaurant. I haven't seen anybody suing over those. Can I get an amen to that? Because Buddha's not a rock of offense because he's a dead false prophet, amen? But Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior and the cross of Christ is something that either brings rejoicing to your heart in recognition of the greatest act of love or it stumbles you. Then what I want to finish off with that and before we go into the next portion of scripture, that the last point last week we didn't get a chance to cover is we are his own special people. We are a chosen generation, a holy nation, his special people. We're his family. You're the pearl of great price that he sold everything to buy. We're his tribe, his offspring. We've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. We we are people of God who have obtained his mercy. So let's begin there in verse 9, finishing up what we were looking at last week, and then I'll give you the outline for this week. But last, right there at verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Peter ends this portion of scripture with these words of encouragement to these Christians enduring hardship. See, they were struggling. Some of them were afraid to leave their house. Sounds familiar. Some of them were afraid to leave their house. Some of them were scared half to death. And you know what? They weren't facing the potential of being taunted for not wearing a mask or getting COVID or whatever it might be. They were facing the fact that they could be thrown to lions or they could be imprisoned. So there is a reason to be afraid in a sense. And so he's writing them this letter to encourage them. He says, look, you're a chosen generation. God chose you and he knew you would be here for such a time as this. And he's going to use you for his glory if you will let him. And that was true 2,000 years ago of these early Christians. And it's true for you and I today. Amen? Amen. God knew before the foundation of the world, we'd be living in such a time as this. And that we'd be living in California of all places. A place that needs Jesus, amen? Amen. And God has us here to be salt and light for a reason. And we're a chosen generation. Be reminded that God chose you. The next time you're discouraged, the next time you're bummed out, the next time you're overwhelmed by your circumstances, remember that he not only died for you, but he chose you and he's adopted you into his family. And you don't mess with God's kids because God's got us. Can I get an amen to that? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. He's given you a down payment on heaven. He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. Guys, that ought to make us excited no matter what's going on around us. We don't have to panic. Just remember, we're a chosen generation. I'm one of God's kids. He's adopted me into his family. While others have rejected and disobeyed and stumbled, he says, you're part of his family, his tribe. He says, you're a holy nation. You know what, when you travel worldwide and you meet another believer, we're all from the same nation, amen? Amen. One nation under God, truly, but we are of the same nation. When you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. You know, one of the things I do miss that I haven't done a lot, I haven't done in quite a while, but every year I would always go, for seven years in a row, I went to India. For seven years in a row below, before that, I went to Russia. And I love to go and teach pastors how to teach. Not that I'm the authority, but certainly, you know, this is how we teach the Bible. Let me help you do that. And a lot of these, you know, Indian pastors would have, have come out of Muslim families or Hindu families, and they got saved, and they walked away from everything, lost their families, and they're being trained to go out two by two and plant churches in, to unreached people groups. And, and I have a privilege of teaching sometimes up to a thousand of them at a time. And I want to tell you something when I meet these guys, And the first day when I meet them, we're worshiping together and I'm hugging them. They're brothers already. Can I get an amen to that? When you hear people worshiping Jesus, they're singing the same song I am, but in a different language. And boy, your hearts are just immediately knit together. I'm closer to some of them in two minutes than I am to people I've been related to my whole life who don't know the Lord. We're a holy nation, amen? And I'm looking forward to standing before the king of that nation one day very soon. Notice he says there, his own special people. Some translations say peculiar people. We're peculiar, amen? (laughs) a people of God's possession, his people that we might praise him who delivered us out of darkness. You know, guys, we've been delivered out of the darkness. We don't walk in dark anymore. You know, the reason the world is confused is they're walking in the dark. Hey, guys, how many of you like walking in the dark? You're banging up your shin, amen? You're banging into walls. You don't even know where you're going. You flip the light on, it changes everything. The world we live in today is walking in the dark. We think, how can they not see this? You, you read someone the Bible, you open up the word of God, you look at what's going on in the world around us and how godless most of it is. And you think, how can they not see it? Well, they can't see it because they're walking in the dark. And Jesus is the light of the world, and he says that we are the light of the world, because we're a reflection of him. Amen? And so people who are walking in the dark, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. We shouldn't be surprised when people who are walking in the dark are acting like they're walking in the dark. And we're the light of the world. And he's delivered us to marvelous light. Our eyes have been opened to the truth. We understand. Amen? We understand. People say, well, I just wish I knew what life was all about. I got it for you. Jesus, <laughs> ready? Write it down, you need a notepad? Jesus, Jesus, knowing him and making him known, amen? Nothing else will matter in eternity. How long's eternity? Long time, amen? We're only here for but a vapor of time, and all this stuff that we think is so important in this vapor of time will mean absolutely nothing in eternity except for what have you done with God's Son? Nothing else will matter. We get so discouraged about this is happening or that's happening or the person I voted for didn't win or this didn't. Hey guys, I get it. Vote biblically. Live biblically. Honor the Lord. But guys... God's on the throne. They can't vote him out of office. And if you know the Lord, you have a promise of eternal life and they can't threaten us with heaven. Amen. Amen. And heaven is better. So much better. He opened our eyes to our sin and our need for a savior. He opened our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. We were once blind, but now we see. Verse 10, he says, who were once not a people and now are people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So grace is being given something you don't deserve, and mercy is not being given what you do deserve. And you got to be thankful for both of those. Amen? What do we all deserve? Hellfire. I just came to this church, and I just didn't even know it. They told me I deserved to go to hell. I didn't. Know. I, well, I thought we were gonna talk about, so I thought they were gonna blow sunshine on me today. I thought they were gonna, no, we're all sinners in desperate need of a savior, amen? We all deserve hell. And if you think you're a good person, you're wrong. Amen? But I'm good. No, you're not. You might be good compared to other people, but God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. And how do you do compared to Jesus? How are you stacking up? Can I get an amen? Now, the encouragement here. Is that who had not obtained mercy have now obtained mercy? See, prior to coming to Christ, there was nothing special about us. Amen? It wasn't the who's who, we were the who's he. Can I get an amen? Nobody knew, again, but now we are the people of God. Yes, persecution may come. Things might not always be easy, but regardless of our circumstances, we are the people of God. Instead of hiding, we should be proclaiming the truth of God's word, recognizing that the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is? People. people. And we want to see people saved. And guess what? People will, will, will see your life. We're going to talk about that as we move on to the text. And we are to be an example in the way that we live. But at some point, someone's got to tell them about Jesus. Jesus. And we, I've heard people say, well, you, you know, live a life, be a testimony, uh, but and when necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words. Amen? Because if just being, doing good works was a good testimony, then the Mormons would be good testimonies for the gospel. But they're not because they reject the Jesus of the Bible. Amen? Man, he told me I'm a sinner and he's picking on the Mormons. Hey guys, here's the reality. (laughs) Guys, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ is the answer. This morning's text, we're going to continue to focus upon the fact that we as Christians are to be an example to the unsaved of godliness and good works. And while we are to be an example, even in the midst of great persecution, God gave us the ultimate example to follow in the person of Jesus Christ. So grab your outline. That was finishing up last week's. So now I tell the message today, today, this morning. Live every day like someone is watching. Because the reality, someone is. Amen? First of all, Almighty God is watching. And every day, and every day when we live our lives, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. So we take the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. He, hears, he knows our thoughts. He knows our, our temptations. He knows how we respond to them. But along with the Lord watching, the world is watching. And I want to say this, okay, and I hadn't even planned on saying this, but I'm going to say it and some of you are going to get offended and okay, so what else is new? Here's the reality. We need to be more identified with Jesus Christ than Donald Trump. And five people said, amen. 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 Okay. Look, Vote for the most godly person, and I'm not, and I, and I voted for Donald Trump, and that, now I just offended the other half of the people. No, so I voted for. But here's the reality: I vote godly principles, and I don't put my faith in any man. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, because all men will fail you. Amen. And we get all whipped up, moment life's over, my guy didn't win. Guess what? God's still on the throne, and God is still faithful. Amen. Caesar Nero. It's who they were, when they, they were facing Caesar Nero when this was written. So someone's always watching. And so you are an example to the unsaved of godliness and good works. Here's the example I don't want. I don't want an example that people think that because I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm so identified with a political person that anything he does represents what I believe. Because no one, no one represents what I believe other than Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm, I'm talking about other pastors. I don't care who it is. The only person I want representing our faith, truthfully, is the Lord. We don't look to men, we look to God, amen? Now, that being said, we need to represent the Lord well so that people will want to be introduced to the Lord, amen? We don't want someone who, who uh, is a flawed human being to be our representative. So, you're an example of godliness and good works, The difference Jesus makes in your walk ought to be twofold. Internal change, we call godliness. The external change, we call good works. Let me say that again. When you come to know Jesus, there's a twofold thing that happens in your life. Inwardly, you become godly, and outwardly, your life should produce good works, If you're an apple tree, you produce apples. If you're a Christian, you produce good works. Inward godliness produces outward good works and a godly testimony. And again, we're saved by grace, not of works. At the same time, we're called to be holy. So it gives people a headache. So am I saved by grace or should I be doing good works? Yes. Yes. Amen. We are saved by grace, not of works As any man should boast. And at the same time, if you're truly saved, your life will produce good works. Why are good works important? It's the fruit of the fact that we've been saved. It's, it, it shows that we are different, that we're new creations in Christ. We've been born again. And it lets people know that we, are the exam- that, that we have something in us that's changed us and transformed us. And it should want them to know, well, what happened? Right, you know, why are you so different? We'll talk about that. Number two. You're an example of submission to God-given authority. Oh, I, didn't, I don't like that part. As Christians, we're to be an example in every aspect of life. We're called to be good citizens, submitted to authority. The flesh wants to rebel, and God calls us to submit. Now, we'll talk about this, and there is one exception to this rule, like any other, that any, any, the commands that God gives us, we are to follow those unless in this case of submission, if the person you're submitted to tells you to deny the Lord or blaspheme the Lord or act contrary to the way the Lord has commanded you to live. So you submit to your boss at work unless your boss commands you to do something contrary to the word of God. We we submit to the government authorities and we honor them unless they command us not to have church. And then we have church. Amen. Amen. So we do honor the government authorities. The Bible tells us Romans 13 and other places in Scripture. But there is an exception because if the if the government tells us to kill our children, we're not doing that. Be praying because the Supreme Court is so close to getting rid of abortion. You have no idea, and God can do it. Can I get an amen to that? Millions of babies are being killed in our nation. Nothing would be great. That'd be one of the greatest things ever. I have to admit, when I see these pro-baby-killing people's heads about to explode, I kind of enjoy it. Because the reality is, because the reality is, they've been killing babies and acting like they're lumps of cells, but God, God knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? And praise God for that. So submit to God-given authority. For the Lord's sake, we honor God by submitting to authority. Some laws are tough to obey. Some leaders are hard to honor and respect. And then finally, of a servant's heart in the workplace. Show respect to those in authority over you at work. As Christians, I truly believe this. We should be the hardest working, most respectful, kindest, most joy-filled Christians in the uh, uh, workers in the building. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. By the way, complaining is not Christ-like. Amen? Walk around, Rob. are man, my boss, and I don't like this. What's up with the new pay plan? Man, man, man. Come on, go to church with me on Sunday? No. <laughs> you know, because we should have joy. Amen? We should have a, an intimate relationship with God, and we say those things don't matter, but then when, they, when something bad happens, we fall apart. That's not a sign of much faith. Do your work in a way that honors God, even if your boss is a jerk. It's even in my notes right there. Submit not only to good and gentle, but also to the harsh. That's what he says. Submit to the good and gentle and the harsh. So if you have a harsh boss, he needs Jesus probably, or she needs Jesus. Amen. And so they're walking in the dark. They're spiritually blind. They don't know God. Shouldn't be surprised when they act that way. But we should live in such a way that makes them wonder what's different about us. And the result of doing so gives us a godly testimony that allows us to minister to others. So let's begin there looking at live every day like someone is watching. First of all, we know that the Lord is, but also so is the world. And the first thing we want to have is a a life of godliness and good works. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So in light of what he has just been talking about, He now calls him beloved. I love this, by the way. The word there is a form of the word agape. And it means esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. It's the same word that was used in the gospels twice, uh, specifically about Jesus. When Jesus came and was baptized, and John the Baptist saw him coming and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus came up out of the water, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. He said, This is my beloved son, hear him, right? This is my beloved. God speaks from heaven. He calls him beloved. And it's the same term here used for us, speaking of his son. At the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus appeared in his glorified body, and Peter, that wrote this letter, wanted to make a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah. And let's make tabernacles for all three of you. And God interrupts and says, This is my beloved son. Peter, shut up. And this is my beloved son. Hear him, not you, amen? amen? Well, he calls, Heavenly Father calls Jesus beloved twice, and here that same word is used about us. Peter calls us beloved. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, calls us beloved. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said at the baptism, this is my beloved son. Hear him in Mount of Transfiguration. Having been born again through the shed blood of his son, we too have become beloved sons and daughters of God. Almighty God refers to us in the same way he refers to our Savior. The difference of this transforming work of redemption should be evident in the life of every believer. See, the fact that we've been changed from the inside out and we're beloved of God should be reflected in the way that we live. We should not be overwhelmed by things that are temporary. Can we be sometimes? What's the answer? Can we allow that? And he's letting them know here that that battle between the spirit and the flesh is something that we all deal with. He says there, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. KJV and the King James it's it's strangers and pilgrims. As those who recognize that this world is not our home, that our home is in heaven, it should change the way that we deal with temptation and the and the things of this life. And again, we should be the best workers in the building, but your career should never come before Jesus. Amen? We should be the best husbands and wives on the planet, but your marriage doesn't come before Jesus. We should be the best parents and grandparents on the planet, but your kids and grandkids don't come before Jesus. And people get upset when you say things like that. Well, I love my grandkids. So do I. I love my kids. I get it. But you know what makes me a better dad and grandpa? Loving Jesus more. Amen. You know what makes me a better husband? Loving Jesus more. You know what makes me a better employee? Loving Jesus more. Amen? Amen? What makes you a better neighbor? Loving Jesus more. He says to us, because you're a foreigner here, because you're just traveling through, because this is not your home, because heaven is your home. We're just pilgrims here. We're temporary residents. Peter is saying, seeing that you're just passing through, I beg you. He begs them. He says, I'm imploring you. I'm exhorting you. I'm calling you to abstain from fleshly lusts. As born-again godly ambassadors in a foreign land, he's calling them to live holy, to be a godly example. See, Christianity, we need to, we need to share the truth, we need to speak the words, but it's often more caught than taught. And what I mean by that is, when you, when you see someone's life and you see how radically different it is, especially if you're an unbeliever that doesn't go to church, And then they see somebody and they're like, "Why? what's so different about you? And my prayer is that every one of us have been asked that many times in our lives. And what should be, if we're truly living set apart for the Lord, it should have people go, well, what's different about you? Why is it everyone else is panicking and you're not? Why is it that when something happens at work and everybody's moaning and complaining, you still have joy? Why is it that you just never waver? What is it about you that's different? And the answer is Jesus. Amen? Amen? And people need to see that. We need to be kind and loving about it too. The word to abstain is to hold oneself off. The word lust there, isn't, it, you know, it speaks, it's not just sexual lust, but certainly that's a part of it, but it speaks of any strong desire of the flesh that is contrary to the word of God. Do you have any fleshly desires that are contrary to the word of God? Are you breathing? The answer is Yes. There's that battle between the spirit and the flesh every day. And there's that fleshly part of you. And for some people, it might not be as extreme as some other things. But we all have these fleshly desires that we want to just feed our flesh. Sometimes you want to feed our flesh by taking a five-hour nap when you should be working. Can I get an amen to that? Fleshly desires can be anything that get in our way of our relationship with the Lord. Anything that's contrary to the word of God. Sin's a big deal. Amen? God hates sin. You know, it's amazing. He doesn't hate sinners, but he hates sin. Amen? Praise God he doesn't hate sinners. We'd all be in trouble. But what I love is, is, is that we are to love what God loves and hate what he hates. And the enemy lies to you and tells you, well, you've been forgiven, so go ahead and just sin all you want. In the early, in the early church, there were people that taught that, Anything you do with your physical body doesn't matter because it's only what your spirit does that matters. So they would go out and, you know, sleep around and do whatever, and just go wild with their flesh because he said your spirit and your flesh are separated. No, your spirit is represented often by what your flesh does. Can I get an amen to that? By your fruit, they shall know you. And so he says to abstain from it, walk away from it. Say by grace, not of works. We're going to have more and more ministries here that give you an opportunity to be in a place where you can be accountable if you're struggling with something. If you're struggling, first of all, we can all get over ourselves. No one's perfect to stop pretending like you are. Can I get an amen to that? All right? So we can always say, hey, you know, I struggle with this. You know what? Let me pray for you. Amen? Let's keep each other accountable. Let's hold up each other's hands. Let's encourage each other. If you're grieving, we'll grieve with you. If you're rejoicing, we'll rejoice with you. If you're struggling, we'll stand with you. Amen? That's why we need to be in fellowship. That's what the body of Christ is all about. It says there at the end of that verse, which war against your soul. To be a Christian means to fight against the lust of the flesh. We must die daily to our flesh, putting the flesh to death. Don't accommodate the flesh. Kill it. Amen? One of the lies of the devil is, feed your flesh, you'll feel better. And is that that what happens? The Bible, you know, that's a principle taught in the word that our flesh will never be satisfied. The enemy will say, oh, just sleep with her one more time or just do that drug one more time or just cheat on your taxes this one time or whatever it is, or just gossip about that person or just, you know, defend yourself and be prideful one more time. And, you know, it doesn't matter. And the reality is you do it and your flesh isn't satisfied, so you do it again. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. Lust of the flesh is a war against the soul. So there's that battle we fight. You've heard me say it before, so one more time won't hurt you. When I was a youth pastor for 15 years, I used to tell my youth group, you have the fleshly tiger and the spiritual tiger battling for the control of of you every day. And which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. If you feed yourself, if you open up the word of God in the morning, if you spend time in prayer, if you got worship music on in your car, if you're seeking after the Lord, you're spending time in his presence, you're in fellowship with other believers, it's going to give you strength to walk in obedience to the word of God. And if all you do is, you know, go on social media for five hours and watch the bad news, they call it the news, but it's just the bad news. You watch the bad news for two hours and you get all fired up and you're all, and then your flesh is wound up. You're looking at things that are inappropriate or whatever it might be. And before you know it, you've lost and you're succumbing to the fleshly desires. Now, again, will God forgive you if you ask for forgiveness? What's the answer? He will, but those sins may have consequences. Amen. Amen. Every time you sin, it hurts more than just you. I'll pick one that's easy to pick on. Pornography. Pornography it's a problem in the church. I guarantee you there's some guys here right now that are struggling with pornography because it's rampant, and maybe some ladies as well. But here's what happens. Oh, it's a, it's a harmless crime. First of all, that image you're looking at is somebody's daughter. Amen? That's somebody's daughter who's probably been drugged up and may have been trafficked, and even if she's doing a quote of her own free will, we should be praying for those people, not, a, not, not allowing that to continue on by engaging in it. Can I get an amen to that? Well, uh, uh, well but then it also it endangers and harms your marriage because the way you look at your spouse is different now because you've been looking at somebody else. Amen? And usually people that get involved with pornography need stronger and stronger pornography and it leads, you got, I, I was on murder's row, death row. For years, talking to prisoners, every single guy on death row said his pitfall started with pornography because he started looking at people different before you knew it. They became rapists or murderers. Guys, here's the reality. As believers, we should have nothing to do with it. Amen? Amen. I sell advertising for a living. They show us the rankings of all the websites because we sell advertising on some of them. We don't sell advertising on porn sites. I wouldn't work there. But here's the reality, eight of the top 10 sites on the internet are porn sites. Here's the reality, it's, this is the tragedy. It's more rampant than ever because it's easier to access than ever. And that's not just true of pornography, it's true of, of whatever, you know, un, ungodly entertainment, gambling, whatever that struggle may be, where you used to have to drive and go somewhere to participate, now you can just pull up your phone in the middle of the night and engage in anything you want. Now guys, you're going to do that if you're, not, if you're walking in the flesh. But if you're walking in the spirit, the Bible says that with temptation, God makes a way of escape. And by the way, if this is a problem for you, take a sledgehammer to it. If your right eye offends you, plug it out. Get a flip phone if that, if that has to happen. Can I get an amen to that? Seriously, whatever it is, take care of it. It brings destruction to the soul and the death of the inner man. It can bring disease to our bodies. It brings harm to us. As Christians, we are to abstain from fleshly lust and ex- exercise ourselves towards godliness. Before we can ever be an outward example to an unsaved world, there must first be an inward change. See, until there's godliness, there cannot be good works. Amen? Exercise yourself toward godliness, Separate yourself. Flee youthful lust. We need to be like Joseph, not King David. Amen? Amen. Joseph ran. Left his coat. I'm out of here. See you later. David didn't go to war after he'd been, oh, he'd been so successful. He's standing out in the, uh, in the afternoon. He slept into lunch. And he looks out and sees a woman bathing and calls for her. She gets pregnant and has her husband put to death. And he's called a man for God's own heart. Praise God for his mercy but we need to put our flesh to death. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Whatever that's, and look, if, if something came to mind as we were talking, because we all have things we struggle with, lay it at the foot of the cross, amen? Before there can be outward good works and a godly witness, there must first be an inward heart of godliness. If we yield to these sinful appetites, then we will start living like the unsaved world around us, and we will become ineffective witnesses, another hypocrite, Amen? Live every day like the world is watching, like someone's watching. the The Lord sees, but the world's watching. And if you're just like everyone else, they're never going to want to hear about the God that you serve. And if anything, you will taint His name. This says there it's a war. It's a military campaign. It's not just one battle, but it's ongoing. We must be on our guard, put the flesh to death daily. It breaks my heart to see how many pastors fall into sexual sin or taking money from their churches. And you know why that happens? Because they get full of themselves. They cease to be desperate for God and they don't have accountability. You will never see me count the offering and I don't write checks unless I have to, because I don't want I want to be as far away from the finances as I can, because I don't want to be anywhere near it. I know where the money I know where we're sending it. We're doing by the way, we we just we're gonna start this week paying rent for that new church plant down in Brazil. Praise God for that. They just had their second, this is their third Sunday today. Praise the Lord, amen. But because you guys faithfully give, there's so many things that we can do. But you know what? We want to take heed lest ye fall. Every one of us can fall into any sin. Amen. amen. And we need to be careful. And it says this, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Now Gentiles here means the unsaved. So not only should we live lives that glorify God, but it should be something that the world looks at as honorable. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it gives the qualifications for a pastor. 14 speak of gifting, one speaks of character, and one of them is blameless. Now blameless doesn't mean sinless, but what it means is without accusation. It means somebody who lives a life, we don't say, oh, that's the drunkard or that's the thief or that's the guy with the foul mouth or that's the, you know, whatever that thing is. And, and, or that's the guy who committed adultery or, or that's the guy who's prideful and full of himself. So you should be able to look at those in ministry and, and, and there's no, nothing to lay hold of and say, that person is this, right? Well, he's saying here that as believers, we should be blameless before the world. The world should look at us and shouldn't say, well, that guy's a pastor, but he cheats on his wife, or that guy's this. And they should be able to look at us and say, okay, what's different? We should be able to glorify and honor the Lord. See, inward godliness, again, produces outward good works, but also a godly testimony. By your fruit, they shall know you. Christians should bear good fruit. It says, when he says this, that when they speak of you, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which you, they observe, glorify God on their day of visitation. So when the world looks at you, and they speak of you as evildoers, as you live for Jesus, you will, your lifestyle brings conviction to the unsaved. And as you begin to proclaim the gospel with boldness, both conviction and resulting persecution will happen. So when you make a stand for the Lord, you'll have people that will mock you, You will have people who will persecute you, and at the same time, it will bring conviction. You know why people, look, if you go into a dark room with a halogen light, do people like that? And people are walking in darkness. If you walk into a room and flip the light and when everybody's sleeping, like, turn off the light. Well, guess what? People are spiritually dead, and you walked into the room with the Holy Spirit, and you got a halogen light on the top of your head, lighting that place up, and people are like, turn that off. We're the light of the world. Jesus is, he says that's what he says of us, amen? amen? And so when you stand up for the Lord, there's gonna be conviction in the lives of people and they're gonna wanna, some are gonna wanna know why. Some will be drawn to ask you questions, but a majority are gonna wanna turn that light out. They'll slander you. They'll make false accusations will follow. Those convicted of their own sin love to try to find sin in others especially those who are a source of conviction. This was a long time ago. I just thought about this as I was studying this week and I forgot all about it. But back in the ni- late 1980s, I was, in my, I was in my 20s and I got the job I have now. And by God's grace, I was very successful. And most salespeople are very envious of each other and they always compare each other to each other. And there's a lot of pride and it's really pretty nauseating for the most part. And so by the, by the grace of God, I'd done really well that first year and I won this award for being the top rep in the country. And they had me speak at the Anaheim Convention Center, all the reps. And I'm this young kid. And some of these guys have been working there longer than I'd been alive. And so they're looking for a flaw. They want to find out. Well, You couldn't have sold more because you worked harder, so you must be stealing. So one time I was, I was away from the office all day and I came back and three guys were in my desk going through all my accounts, trying to find something that I had plagiarized or trying to find something to prove why I could have sold that much. Because I was also very outspoken about my faith. And these guys wouldn't let up. So then they kept, they would always come by and ask me if I want to go get a beer at lunch. I'm good. Amen? You want to go to Hooters for lunch? No. No desire to do that. And then this happened, and I'll never forget it. All of a sudden, this this. Gal in our office started paying me a lot of attention. She knew I was married. I love my wife. And she just kept coming by my cubicle and saying things and just getting, you know. And I was like, hey, I'm married. Stop. I didn't want to hear it. I was in a meeting one time. She came and sat on my lap. I'm like, hey, whoa, you need to, you know, remove yourself. And I found out that three guys in the office had put her up to it because she was a very pretty girl. And they said, well, we'll see what kind of Christian he is when this pretty girl starts throwing herself at him, and once he does anything, we can then reveal him for the hypocrite that he is. And only by the grace of God, I, I, I think I might have told you guys this, and I, I don't know if my wife remembers this, so we were working in the Ventura office, and uh, my wife came with my kids, and I was walking through the office with my kids, and I had my daughter with me, and I was introducing her to people, and I got to this lady's cubicle, and I said, oh, this is the lady that wants to destroy mommy-daddy's marriage. And she turned four shades of purple and ran to the bathroom and never bothered me again. <laughs> but, the, but Now look, I'm, I'm not always the hero of every story. Sometimes I fail, amen, but by God's grace. Point I'm making though is, there were people in my office because I was doing well and I talked about Jesus that wanted to see me fall. And there are people with, that know you're a Christian they're gonna wanna see you fall. Because then they can be content in their own sinful behavior because if you stand for the Lord and you're a hypocrite, well, then see, it's not even real. Do you understand that? So he's calling us to be an example of godliness and good works to a lost and a dying world. The best way to silence slander is to live a life that is above reproach. You know, if we live a life sold out for the Lord, and that doesn't mean we're sinless and we're not perfect, but I will say this. When we do blow it, we should be quick to apologize. Can I get an amen to that? Quick to confess it. If you do lose your temper for a moment, you know, but by the way, 20 seconds of a lost temper can destroy two years of a godly testimony. Amen. The anger of man does not produce a righteousness of God. We're to be examples of godliness and good works. It says that you're made good, that your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. The life of holiness and an eternal focus and godliness that produces good works serves as a testimony to the lost and it leads others to Christ. What he's saying here at the very end there can glorify God in the day of visitation. What he's talking about is on the day of judgment. That there are some, if you live a godly life in front of them, and you proclaim the truth of the gospel, and you share the truth with them, that there could be a day in that person's future when they stand before the Lord, and God is glorified in that day of visitation when they stand before the Lord, because you had a godly testimony before them. Years later, I was working in the San Jose office, and our company was talking about downsizing. And at the time, uh, everybody in the office was kind of losing their mind, like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And people were literally like angry and complaining and scared to death. And I had been witnessing to my Muslim boss for about twelve years, praying for her always. And she finally came to me and she said, and she pulled me into her office. She said, "I want to just say something. We got two hundred people in this office, and one hundred eighty of them are panicking, and twenty of them aren't. And I figured it out. The twenty are all the Christians that go to the Bible study." How come everyone else is panicking and you aren't? He said, because God's in control and God knows and God's not giving us a spirit of fear. Can I get an amen to that? And then God will provide and we're not worried about it. If we lose this job, God will get us another one. Amen. And you know that God used that and then used my going to the hospital and a few other things. And she came to church my first Sunday back after I'd been in a coma, been in the hospital for almost a year and she got saved. And then she drove all the way down and I baptized her out in Malibu a few years back. Guys, us going through trials and staying faithful to the Lord is an opportunity for the gospel. Amen. Amen? And here's his exhortation. He's talking to these guys who could be fed the lions. He said, look, you're an example of godliness and good works. Those same people want to kill you. You need to be an example to them of godliness and good works. It serves as a testimony. By the way, we don't just go witnessing. We are witnesses. Amen? I love to go witnessing. Hey, you guys want to go witnessing? Yeah. But guess what? We go witnessing every time we leave our house. Amen? You walk into the office or the grocery store, Holy Spirit just showed up. You brought them with you. Amen? And God's called us. Our beliefs should be reflected in our behavior. Our actions either cause people to blaspheme the name of God or bring validity to the words that we speak. Hypocrisy blows our testimony. Good work over time gives weight to our words and silences the slanderer. And again, this is a great exhortation for these persecuted believers and it should be for you and I today. That day of visitation is spoken of in Isaiah 10. It says, And what will you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from afar? To whom will you run for help and where will you leave your glory? Guys, who do you run to? Who will the world run to? Where to be an example. So live every day like someone's watching because somebody is. Number one, you're, you are an example to the unsaved of godliness and good works. Secondly, of submission and God-given authority. We're all excited about these verses. <laughs> Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, governors governors. I wish we knew some, but uh, as, those, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who did good. Therefore, in light of the fact that we are but sojourners and pilgrims and that our godly conduct gives weight to your words and leads, us, leads others to Christ, submit to every ordinance for the Lord's sake. The word submit there is a military term. It's to obey, it's to submit one's control, it's to yield, to arrange in a military fashion. Be obedient to the law, For the Lord's sake. Submission is not a popular topic in this day of lawlessness and pursuit of personal fulfillment. As Christians, we're to be godly examples in every aspect of life. We should be good citizens submitting to the government. Now, the Bible even says that God establishes governments for good. Now, we can look at some of the things some governments do that aren't good, even our own government. But that being said, even with the craziness that's going on right now, it is governing authorities that are the ones to bring justice to what's right and wrong. Somebody commits murder, then God uses the government to bring about what's right and wrong. We might all disagree with how well they do that, but that's what government was created for. You might say, well, Peter didn't mean our government. He didn't mean our government. He didn't, he didn't know who Joe Biden was or, or Gavin Newsom. No, way. he didn't mean our government, there's no way. Caesar Nero was in charge who was setting Christians on fire and burning Christians at the stake and feeding them to lions. Now, Peter wrote this in the days of the Roman Empire, which was no democracy nor friend of Christians. Yet he still recognized the legitimate authority of the Roman government. And again, even in the midst of persecution, God had called them to submit, and we'll talk about the exception in a moment. But we do it for the Lord's sake, because all authority was given by God. Here's, a, here's an easy example. You get pulled over by a police officer because you're driving too fast. Don't make excuses. Don't complain. Submit to the authority God's placed over you. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. amen. Uh, April 15th's coming. Amen. Taxes. Two and a half months away. Some of you file your taxes on February 1st. That means you're getting money back. April 15th means you're paying. Can I get amen? But here's what happens. Even as believers, well, that government, man, they spend money killing babies. I'm not submitting to that authority. I'm going to make some stuff up. They're not getting my money. Amen? There's this mentality we can have. But the Bible, when Jesus was questioned about taxes, what did he say? Give unto what is Caesar's. Amen? Amen? It's just money. We're not giving them our souls. We're not giving them our lives. We're not giving them our freedom to worship. But, we, but hey, you can have it all. God will provide. Can I get an amen to that? God will restore it. Or submit to that authority. Some laws are tough to obey. Some leaders are hard to honor or respect. Can I encourage you to do this? The ones you can't honor and respect, and there are plenty, pray for them. Because they're walking in the dark and they need Jesus. Amen? We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. They need the Lord. Can you imagine if some of the people, I won't put names, you got names in your head. Imagine those people whose names are running through your mind all got saved. What would happen? But we don't pray for that. We despise them instead. Am I the only one? (laughs) Amen? You hear certain people's names you throw up in your mouth a little bit. Can I I get amen to that? But here's the point though. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. We need to pray for them. Did Jesus die on the cross for them? What's the answer? Yes, he did. Does Jesus love them so much he would rather die than live without them? What's the answer? Let's pray for them. Amen? Amen. Lord, pray they get saved. Now, there is one exception. Acts 4.19, we're commanded to obey God rather than men. There comes a time when they will tell us, you can't have church. We're gonna have church anyway. If they outlaw prayer, we're gonna pray anyway. If they say you can't have Bibles, we're gonna print more. Can I get an amen to that? so when it comes to, we submit to the authority, the police officer pulls us over when he pay our taxes, if we're told to do certain things that do not contradict the word of God, we obey that. When they contradict the word of God, we stop obeying that. And we don't be self-righteous jerks about it. We just make a stand for the Lord. Amen? Amen. And sadly, as I've said several times, I don't think the pandemic changed the church. It just showed us where the church was. Their churches still aren't open. Two years later. If your church cannot be open for two years, shut the doors. Amen. Because and give us the building, we'll use it. Can I get an amen to that? You know, the reality is, the reality is that, that you if you're not, if you don't recognize the calling, if you don't recognize how serious this is, if you don't recognize the enemy wants to, he would do all of this just to shut the doors of the churches, and we cannot let the enemy win. Amen. And we won't. Amen. Notice he says, whether to a king supreme or to governors, regardless of the position or the form of government, as believers, we are su- to submit to their authority. And again, while we may not agree with their positions, we submit to them nonetheless. I didn't vote for him. He's not my president. He's still your president. Get over it. Can I get an amen? So pray for him. Pray for him. Amen? He needs prayer. That's a stupid law. I'm not going to obey it. It's still the law. You need to obey it. Why is it 55? I remember when they made the speed limit. I had a 69 Camaro Z28 when they made the speed limit 55. I didn't agree with that. (laughs) I did not agree. I was also like 19, and that's not a good mixture, by the way. That's a horrible law. That's the law. Obey it. Amen? Obey it. Again, The king was Nero and the governors were men like Pontius Pilate. As Christians, again, pay your taxes, drive the speed limit, honor and respect those in authority, the police, the IRS, your boss, the outlaw witnessing, going to church, reading your Bible or prayer, then we obey God rather than man. Amen? As to those sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. That's what it says there in that next verse. Says there, for those who do the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So punishment or praise, that is what God has set up the human government to do. We obey the government, for God is the one who put it there. Romans 13, all governments are placed in power by God. So those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God, and punishment will follow. So we want to honor God by honoring the government until the government tells us to dishonor God. And again, while, God, while governments and leaders are, are, not, are not always perfect, God always is. And we do it to honor him and to bring glory to his name. Again, in verse 15, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you might put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Calls them to silence their enemies by being good citizens. See, by honoring the law and being faithful to it, it puts those people to shame. Guys, we're not here to win arguments. We want to win people. Amen. And we can win an argument and have someone walk away and then want nothing to do with the God that we serve because now they identify our God as somebody who's self-righteous because we were or argumentative because we are or condescending because we are. We need to be loving and gracious and kind. Now we can stand for the truth and we should. P- Peter knows that our conduct is a way to defend the gospel. He knows that those who never read the Bible will read our lives. Peter wrote to, to those who are being accused of treason. They would, acknowledge, acknowledge, they would not acknowledge Caesar as God. So they were considered traitors to the government. The spiritual strategy was to be the best citizens in the government so they, would have to, they could silence these foolish men who were accusing them of trying to overthrow the... You're trying to overthrow the government because you won't say Caesar's God. No, I'm honoring everything the government tells me to do except when they tell me to say that Caesar's God because he's not God, Jesus is. Amen? So we honor them in the areas that do not contradict the Word of God. When it contradicts the Word of God, we stand on the Word of God. He says "As free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants to God. The Bible tells us that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Peter was freer in a prison cell than Caesar was in the palace, amen? Daniel was freer in the lion's den than the king was in the palace. Guys, when you have the Lord, we're free. We're free from sin and death. But we never, must never use our freedom as an excuse to sin, our freedom for, is from sin, not to sin. Here's what happens. Grace gets really cheap if you say, well, the son set me free and God's forgiven me. My name's in the Lamb's book of life, so I can just live like the world. Now, if you want to live like the world, I question how much you really love the Lord. Because when we live like the world, you take the Holy Spirit with you. And if you have the Holy Spirit with you, you're going to be convicted. Amen? Amen. And that conviction should draw us back to the Lord. The real concern I have is a cheapening of God's grace, a desensitation, uh, being desensitized to sinful behavior. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the answer? Certainly not. Certainly not. It's a cloak. He says a cloak, a covering, a veil of a vice, all kinds of evil and sin. Our freedom is to follow Christ, not to pursue sin. And that's what he's saying. here. look, yeah, you've been set free and you have liberty in Christ. If I hear this one more time, my head will explode. I'd have people say to me, well, I have liberty, man. I have liberty to do whatever I want. Man, I'm walking in liberty, bro. I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. Now, if you're under grace, you don't want to do those things. Can I get an amen to that? I had had one guy, and it's sad because he's totally walked away from the Lord. But this guy would drink 18 beers a day and go, I have liberty in Christ. I go, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's let's read all the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? And what would happen is, well, I have liberty. I have liberty to do all these things. But guys, as believers, by the way, it's real easy to know whether or not you should do something. Would you take Jesus with you when you went? Amen? Because you're taking the Holy Spirit with you. He says our freedom is to follow Christ, not to pursue sin. He said, don't use that as a cloak. Don't use it as a covering for your sinful behavior. Don't say, because I'm free, then I can do this. He says, we're bond servants to God. We've talked about this a lot. For the sake of time, I can't go into a lot of detail, but a bond servant is a slave by choice. In those days, you, if you got indebted and you couldn't pay it back, What did they say? They would say, look, you know, you have to work it off. And after a certain amount of time or when the year of Jubilee came, they would be set free. But some servants would say, well, I want to stay. I love my master. My family loves my master. I want to stay. I want to choose to freely become your servant for the rest of my life. They would bring them into the city square. They'd run a square. They'd run it all through their ear. There was like a, you know, a a sign of ownership and they would be bound to their, to their master for the rest of their lives. He says, we're bond servants to Jesus. Amen? We're slaves by choice. You know why I love to be a slave to the Lord? Because he's a wonderful master. Amen? Amen. And there's nobody else I'd whether follow or serve. See, I I keep putting myself in jail every week. We're going to do one more verse. Notice what it says here. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. That's a good one. Amen? Amen? Honor all people. The word honor there, and again, it's not a menu to choose from. I think I'll honor all, you know, and uh, it's not a Chinese restaurant, one from row one and one from row three. You know, uh, I'll fear God, but I am not honoring the king and I'm not loving my brotherhood. Got to do them all. Amen. So honor all people. The word honor there means to respect. It's a mark of a spirit filled believer. He treats all people with honor and respect. It's so lacking in the world today. Love the unlovable. God did it with you. Amen? Honor all people. One of the biggest shocks in going back, you know, and being in the workplace is just the lack of respect. Do students have respect for their teachers? In good schools, they do. What about children with their parents? My kids were in Little League. That was an eye-opening event every week. I remember one kid stood on the mound and flipped off his dad and was cussing him out from the mound when his dad told him to do something in the middle of the game. And the dad uh, was, you know, was kind of disabled and he had a, he had a big, uh, you know, like a cane. And this kid kept cussing to him, at him from the field and I'm sitting there. The kid's 10 years old. And I go, dude, if you want me to use that cane, I'll go out there and, and spank him for you. But there's so much disrespect and dishonor, but the Bible tells us to honor all men. Amen? Amen. Show them honor. Love the brotherhood. The word love there, I guess, give you one guess. What is it? It's agape. Christians, we're a band of brothers. We should present a united front to a lost world, holding each other up, not fighting over non-essentials. You know what? The world loves to see Christians arguing with each other about stuff that won't matter in heaven. Amen? And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love for each other should be supernatural. Let me finish this up. Fear God. I think the number one, I believe that, what is missing in much of the church and the lives of many believers is the lack of godly fear. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The word fear there is a respect and an honor and a reverence for God. Instead of fearing God, they curse his name. We should fear God that men may see reflected in our behavior. We should live every day, every moment, mindful that we will indeed stand before him one day. When was the last time you contemplated, I'm gonna stand before almighty God one day? And I'm thankful that we will not be at the great white throne judgment because our sins have been paid for, but we will be at the Bema seat and we will stand before him and we will be accountable how faithful we were with the gifts he's given us. We should live every day in light of that moment. And finally it says, honor the king. Honor authority. Submit to the government. Pray for our leaders, amen? It's not always easy, is it? We live in a time when we look at people in leadership and we just shake our heads but they're walking in the dark. They need Jesus and we have him. Let's not keep it to ourselves, Amen? amen? So in closing, live every day like someone is watching. You're an example to the unsaved of godliness and good works. The difference Jesus makes in your walk ought to be twofold inward godliness and outward good works. And then of submission to God-given authority. As Christians, we are to be an example in every aspect of life. We're called to be good citizens, submitted to the authority. The flesh wants to rebel. God calls us to submit. For the Lord's sake, we honor God by submitting to authority. Some laws are tough to obey. Some leaders are hard to respect. And again, we do that unless they tell us to dishonor God, and then we say no. Lord, we thank you for your word I know it's very practical, but very hard to hear maybe. And Lord, any of us here, all of us here, in areas where we struggle to surrender our lives fully to you, in areas where we're making excuses to not submit to authority that God's placed over us, whether it be our boss or the government or our taxes, or whatever it may be, Lord, may we have an eternal perspective. And may we honor you in all things that you might be glorified, that people might want to know the Savior that we serve. Lord, I pray for each person here, whatever they may be going through right now, may you comfort them. May you encourage them. May you provide for them. And help us, Lord, not to compromise our faith. Help us, Lord, not to be the hypocrites that the world loves to see, but help us by your grace to live holy and set apart lives that bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray, and all God's people said,